So um, we're going to be talking today about something that, for the time being, we'll call uh, contemplative thinking. Good. <laughs> and maybe, um, you know, there is a purpose in uh, actually not knowing where we're going with it or how we're proceeding uh, with this conversation. And to, to accept in a moment of pause as we try to orient ourselves to where we could go. Mm-hmm. 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 I guess where I would like to start is by talking a little bit about uh, the word thinking and what um, what's that pointing toward in the in this context of contemplative thinking mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. so since you created that phrase and I will ask you to uh, do some exegesis on it. <laughs> so, uh, part of the idea is to have a bit of the paradox, because in a traditional everyday language, um, contemplation is viewed as something that is essentially uh, receptive. And thinking tends to be viewed as something that is very um, active or even aggressive. Um, analyzing is about slicing, dicing, cutting. Um, and there is often a sense of efforting in thinking. And so uh, the phrase, what, what appeals to me in it is the sense that actually you can get to the end result of thinking, which is, you know, having insights, having new ways of looking at things, solving problems, uh, having an opening, without actually that, uh, in a way, aggressive or tense uh, um, efforting of me against the world but something that is a more receptive part, uh, which is more traditionally associated with what contemplation is. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And um, does that differ from what we mean when we talk about intuition or intuitive knowing? Uh, So... My sense of it is that intuitive knowing is very much part of that. That in a way, um, you know, we cannot uh, separate parts of the human mind, part of the human activity, and saying, oh, there is this area which is strikingly different, you know. There's a continuum. And so that ability to, um, to receive information through intuition, people who have ideas in their shower, uh, you know, that kind of stuff, uh, is part of this larger continuum. But the difference I would make is that uh, in uh, forging a phrase like contemplative thinking, there is an intention to maybe 
uh, isolate the uh, the makings of it so that we can uh, maybe make it a practice or make it happen a little bit more often as opposed to randomly. Yes, yes. I, I really agree with that. I think um, in a contemplative practice, I mean, it has the word practice in it, um, and there it is something it's also a kind of mind training process or it's something you can cultivate um so you don't have to just wait until a, a lightning strike of intuition suddenly appears um <clears throat> so i think that's very important um and often in meditation or mindfulness which has um, become so popular now, you're, um, because thinking is so dominant in our culture, um, we use mindfulness or meditation to um, get away from thinking, get away from the discursive mind with its tendency to run on and on and jump from one thing to another thing to another thing. Um, and... <clears throat> to calm the mind, which in, in Buddhism it's, it's um, called um, um, calming the mind or um, 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 peace, peaceful mind um, <clears throat> that has less thinking going on and, and that is not necessarily empty of thought, um, but the purpose is in the to develop this non-thought uh, realm of experience. Um, and um, now there are also, I mean, in the Buddhist tradition, which is huge, um, there are also many more analytical types of meditation practices that do involve, um, you know, what we think of as thinking. Um, and um, but um, I think there is a need, um, you know, and I guess in terms of my own life, having started out being very much thinking oriented and kind of intellectual and conceptual, and then having found meditation um, as a way of um, kind of getting under that. Um, and then later on, the uh, uh, focusing practice, uh, which extended that, um, you know, but then seeing that, okay, we also have to come full circle and find out the healthy relationship between non-thought and thinking mm-hmm. uh, in the context of how, how we live our lives. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so... So there's a sense of um, that circle of thinking, uh, intellectual. There's the wanting to free yourself from that, in a way, prison of just being in thought and um, go into taming the mind as a priority, then coming back to the practice of focusing um, and a sense of wanting to integrate the thinking and the non-thought. Mm-hmm. 
Um, yes, <clears throat> which, uh, I mean, as you know very well, is is exactly what Eugene Gendlin's practice called thinking at the edge is designed to do. Um, but it's somewhat technical um, and challenging. Um, so I think we want to find simpler and more accessible ways of getting to the, the kernel of that dynamic from um, going to a place of non-thought um, so that fresh thinking can arise from there. Yeah, yeah. So maybe that phrase I want to repeat because in a way it's a, the phrase itself integrates the two poles or the apparent dichotomy, getting to a place of non-thought so that fresh thinking can emerge from that. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah. And it, um, well, there's so much that could be said about that. And now that the new neuroscience is also suggesting a lot there, um, <clears throat> you know, whatever is, is just thinking or, or is um, expressed in words, um, uh, kind of by definition is a, a repackaging of already existing elements, thoughts, concepts. Um, and especially in the um, world we live in today, which is um, so challenging and changing so rapidly, and in a lot of ways just beyond conceptual understanding altogether, um, <clears throat> it's really important that, because at the non-thought level, and again, this is what Eugene Gendler talks about, um, the body really knows vastly more than the conceptual mind does, because the body is living the reality of one's life, one's experience. Mm -hmm. um, and and not only that, it is um, the, the body is something that has come about through thousands and thousands of years of evolution. And, you know, we usually don't think so much about this, but that our our body knows that whole history um, in some sense. Um, so as you're, as you're talking about this, an image that comes to mind is that of a pyramid, you know, like the uh, old uh, symbol of the pyramid that used to be representing nutrition or, you know, some kind of a pyramid with slices. And so, in a way, in the lower phases of the pyramid is all the input, all the, the stuff, the information that's available to the body in terms of our cellular information, our sensory, uh, you know, preverbal, preconceptual information, the history, the uh, reflexes, all the stuff we have accumulated. And at the very top is an executive summary, uh, which is amazingly useful because it's what, you know, say in a report, the executive summary, but not to confuse the executive summary with the whole uh, contents of the report. Mm, I like that, yes. That, that's a lovely metaphor. Um, absolutely. Um, yeah, and the, <coughs> the pyramid is a good... Um, symbol for that because the executive report you know, on the one hand it seems to be the highest point, the culmination but um, in another sense it's 
it's much less, it's much narrower, it's a point mm-hmm. than all of that that um, precedes it. Um, yeah, so I think we're talking about being able to um, have a more lively dialogue between those different levels and being able to dip down into the uh, non-conceptual knowing or the body knowing um, and um, kind of, I hadn't thought about this before, but it's it's kind of like mining it for, you know, there's new um, gemstones or whatever mm-hmm. that can be discovered, mm-hmm. that can be brought up, brought into the light, something like that. Yeah, 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 and so I like also the idea of the gemstones because, uh, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, the top of the pyramid is also the most uh, impoverished in terms of content. And so there's a sense of needing to come back and mine the riches of actually experience. Right, yes, that's what I'm trying to say, yeah. Mm-hmm. Uh, okay. So, all right, so perhaps we want to talk a little bit more about the contemplative side mm-hmm, mm-hmm. of it. Um and as you were saying earlier, uh, contemplative is generally associated with um, spiritual, a kind of spiritual practice. And of course, it has been um, cultivated in the spiritual traditions. Um, and um, partly that. I think historically is because only people who had dedicated their lives to spiritual practice had the time and space to really do contemplation um, uh, in, a, in a, at least in a disciplined way. And um, <clears throat> and now we have to learn how to be doing it, uh, all of us, or how to be doing it in um, ordinary life, secular mm-hmm, mm-hmm. life. Um, so we have tremendous resources from the exploration that has been done in the past, but at the same time we have to find ways to bring that forward. And so I like that the way you're positioning it, that in a way uh, it's an accident of history and it's a sociological uh, reason that means that this kind of thinking has been explored within the context of religion, spirituality, uh, and that sociological economic context is that the people who had the time and leisure to explore it were people who had the time and leisure to focus about that. Whereas uh, in uh, more everyday life, pressing uh, decisions, uh, businessmen, soldiers, you know, there's a sense of, uh, you know, in a way, using what's uh, readily available. Mm-hmm. Yes, and so I was just reflecting as you were talking. I mean, it's also something that artists know about and something that scientists, the really good scientists, know about. Um, you know, they just, um, either they have it or they discover it. Um, but it doesn't, um, 
it doesn't yet translate into something that kind of all of us can learn and use. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, something, something like that. Yeah, so, but again, a very important reminder that actually uh, fresh thinkers, artists and uh, scientists, uh, have that because without that, they would not be able to have the fresh ideas. Right. Um, right. And so from that point of view, it's <clears throat> in the general area of creativity, which is something that's talked about a lot in our culture, being creative. Um, but I think that a lot of people don't really get at a deeper level what what the creative process is. Um, And so that's, um, you know, that's what we're trying to shed more light on. And so I'm tempted to, uh, you know, use the word creative as a segue uh, Mm -hmm. to, you know, to go to uh, my experience of um, that workshop, you know, you were doing and uh, of noticing the the phases, you know, that corresponds to this process. But uh, the the transition with creative is that it was, uh, in a way, that experience was an experience of creative meaning making. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so uh, it's something that's more related to philosophy, spirituality, the context in which, you know, that kind of contemplation is usually used. But there's no reason in the world that it would be only there. Right. Right. All right. So now I'm, you know, I'm, I'm just talking somewhat spontaneously as mm-hmm. ideas occur to me. Um, but uh, I don't know. I think I'd like to hear a little bit more from you. Well, I'll jump, I'll jump on that because, uh, you know, the, the thing, you know, that's the process that I've been very interested in. And, uh, at that workshop, you introduced the concept of process, uh, described by, uh, de- uh, defined by Francesco Varela. And yes. you talked about three phases, which I very much resonate with. And I tweaked the naming of them. So I'm going to use my name as opposed to his. But the one is the sense of a pause. So this process cannot happen if there is no pause uh, in order to stop the flow of things as they are, interrupt, and, you know, have the possibility for a new outlook. Yes. Then uh, the second part was the orienting. And um, a sense of, and it's an orienting that's both inside and outside. Uh, so, what is happening, but also what's happening inside, and also paying attention to inside information as opposed to just yes. outside information. And the third part uh, is, in a way, there's a, you know, the, the, you called it the letting go, and that's a letting go in the sense of getting out of our own way in order to allow 
a response that comes not just from, in a way, our predetermined series of responses, but allows something fresh to come up. And, uh, and a sense of trusting that, in a way, that larger computer, you know, which is not just our um, uh, intellectual brain, also our body information, but also, in a way, our relationship with context, uh, is, has information that is going to give us something fresh. Um, and, and so I thought, well, this is really a very nice way to describe this process. Um, yes. And then say a little bit more about where you're, where you're trying to go with this. Um, uh, how having formulated the phrase contemplative thinking, <clears throat> what will that help us to mm-hmm. do? So the idea <coughs> is in a way um, we have, um, when we have, we're confronted with an issue, a problem, whether it's a factual problem, uh, uh, an everyday life problem, an intellectual problem, an emotional problem, um, we have a model, an implicit model of how to solve it or deal with it, which is to think about it or do something about it. And, uh, you know, in a way, that model is, is action-oriented, is, 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 and, and it physically corresponds to a sense of, in a way, tensing up. Um, and the tensing up corresponds to, say, a nervous activation, which is there is a danger, there's something to confront. So you have to, in a way, gather energy, get the muscles poised in order to fight, in order to cut, in order to slice, in order to basically respond to threat. Um, and by having a different model, uh, it allows us to position ourselves in a different way so that we deal with the issue in a different way. And so very much the same way as in the, uh, you know, workshop you give and you, you were talking about the, the place of being grounded, okay? And the place of, so it's a place of safety, uh, and it's also a place of trust. Uh, that trust first that you're not in danger and trust that something is going to coming up. So in a way that you're in a benevolent environment. So safety, is that sense of relaxing defenses in order to allow stuff to come up. So, uh, in a way, thinking in these terms helps shift, you know, the intentionality from, I'm noticing, you know, that I've, when I'm facing an issue, I'm tensing up, I'm going into attack mode, and I want to take the pause, and in that pause, remind myself that, I'm safe, that, you know, there is likely to be something coming up if I trust these larger resources. Uh, so, in a way, that's that shift, not just in intention, but also in body experience. Um, from the place, you know, and so that's the pause. From that place of being in a more relaxed, calm, non-threatened, uh, safe, trusting way, uh, it is now possible for me to orient both inside and outside because if I'm not under fire and under threat, 
then I can, in a way, let my, you know, gyroscope or my, you know, orient itself without having the brakes that, you know, in a way keep it in a certain direction. Because if I feel there's a threat, I'm mostly orienting toward the possibility of a threat. And I'm, you know, narrow and attacking as opposed to relaxed and letting go. So that's that orientation to not just, in a way, the situation, but orientation that comes from that place of feeling trusting and oriented toward safety. Mm-hmm. And from that place can come the third stage, which is, in a way, from the place of being, in a way, calmer, trusting, safe, and, uh, you know, open and oriented. Uh, I can be aware of subtle shifts, of subtle felt sense, of things, of information that otherwise I would not notice, uh, and that suddenly allow me in some kind of a surprising way, probably often subtle, not something that's like a two-by-four on the head, that, you know, something that I would not notice if I was in a more tight mode, then suddenly changes my outlook. Mm-hmm. And so, in a way, that's the part where, you know, there is a possibility of a contemplative th- thinking happening. Mm-hmm. So here's a question. Um, Contemplation is usually associated with um, retreating or being able to become very quiet and still and free from interruptions and so forth, like the monk in his cell. Um, But are you suggesting that this kind of process can also happen in in real time, so to speak, Mm -hmm. in, in a work situation or when um, I'm getting into an argument with my wife or whatever it might be, is can it be done in real time or does it mean having to take a break, you know, to literally make a pause in order to spend that more contemplative mm-hmm, time? Mm-hmm. So I think that's, uh, that, that's the part where, in a way, because of the dichotomy we have, about, uh, you know, contemplation being something that's outside, it's in the, you know, uh, like the cartoon where the guru is on the top of the mountain, totally isolated, or the monk in the cell. There is the sense that it will only happen if it takes forever to think about it. And so, in a way, uh, that's the attitude we have. Oh, it's so important that I'm going to have to think about it, which, in other words, means I'm not thinking about it. And not thinking about it means, in a way, I keep in a tight mode and I keep, uh, you know, in that restricted mode and stuck mode where nothing can come in. And this actually is something that happens very suddenly uh, if it's just a question of relaxing. Um, and I like when you mention something, for instance, uh, can it happen in a business situation, or say an argument with my wife. And uh, it's, uh, you know, that, uh, you know, for instance, in, a, in an argument, I can, because there is a, some degree of threat, uh, it automatically elicits my fight-flight response. And whether I'm conscious or not, in a way I go in automatic pilot wanting to fight. But with cultivating the self-observation, you know, and not just self-observation in a, 
in, in an intellectual way, but self-observation of felt sense of what it feel like, you know, then I can have access to that sense of, oh, I'm kind of tensing up, I'm kind of in attack mode, I am, so as soon as I notice it, which takes a fraction of a second, uh, you know, can come the slowing down of that sense of, oh, here I am in my attack mode or in my threatened mode. And again, within a fraction of a second, um, you know, this is that sense of the threat, you know, the threat response relaxes. Because by simply noticing how intense my effect is and my muscle tension, uh, in a way I have the instant information that it is uh, unwarranted. It's out of proportion with the, you know, situation. So all of this takes basically a couple of seconds. Uh, and as I notice it, I can actually turn to my wife and say, you know, I'm realizing I'm very activated about that, you know, and then already in a way I'm backing off. I'm no longer in that place of being so activated because I'm both activated, which I still am at some level, you know, it's hard to come down when you lift up, but I'm also uh, having not just an intellectual perspective, but also that sense of being physically more relaxed so that I'm also, you know, have a felt sense of it's not as dangerous as the activator part feels it is. Yes, yeah. Yes, and when you <clears throat> talk about it in that way, it reminds me of what Dan Daniel Goleman calls emotional intelligence um, or self-regulation. There's a whole set of terms for that, um, and that is a piece of it. Um, but there's something more here that you're trying to get at? Uh, um, the um, Being able to n notice I'm getting activated and by recognizing it, get some space from it in myself um, and then perhaps share that with the other person if that is appropriate at the time. And then wh wh where does the fresh thinking show up? Mm -hmm. um, so maybe I want to say something first. As you were repeating this, you know, mm -hmm. something that resonated with me a little bit, and then I'll come back to the fresh thinking. Sure. Sure. But what felt very powerful when you did that is when you put that sense of, okay, so this is about uh, self-regulation activation. Mm -hmm. uh, there is a way of saying, in a way, uh, for somebody who listens to it, to say, oh, so this is about emotional stuff. And right. therefore, what does it have to do with solving problems? Okay and intellectual issues or, you know, say physics or philosophy or accounting or whatever it is. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, maybe that's the part of, in this approach, in that pyramid approach, uh, we're not separating the emotional from the intellectual 
as things that are totally different realm. Because that whole organism thinking includes emotions, and so includes not just abstract information, but sense of threat, Mm -hmm. you know, or sense of relaxation. So in that sense, you know, the, uh, in a way, any thinking uh, is going to include some degree of shift from activation to calming down. Because, in a way, any situation that's new uh, is a challenge and therefore has a degree of threat. Mm-hmm. So it's only a more extreme example when, say, it's an argument. Okay? Mm-hmm. 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 Um, and so, from that place, you know, what is the new thinking? The new thinking is a different way of conceptualizing the situation. Uh, if I'm in a, my activated mode, all of my organism is oriented toward a threat. So in a way, uh, you know, which is exactly that, uh, you know, that concept of Maya and illusion, that what I'm seeing is not what is, mm-hmm. but what I'm seeing is what my nervous system is decoding from the way my muscles are oriented, my tension, my, you know, my heart pumping, my, and is saying, okay, I get all this information from there, and therefore it is dangerous. So essentially, uh, I'm letting my baggage, uh, you know, condition my muscle activation, which in turn gives my nervous system that sense that I'm in danger mode. And the fresh thinking is about, as my nervous system and my muscles relax, then I have a different perspective and I see a different picture. And so in a way, the before is Maya and after is something that hopefully corresponds a little bit more to what is actual reality. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah. And so again, I want to ask, well, where are you going with this? Or if the, if the vision is to find a way of making this process available, more widely available, um, how, how do you see going about that? Um, and, uh, or how how would this differ from you know all of the techniques that do exist around emotional intelligence or or traditional contemplation? Um, and I mean, I don't know if that's the direction that you're trying to mm-hmm. go in. But so, or you know, the the idea is actually that traditionally people think about uh, contemplative practices as something that's oriented towards spirituality. Mm-hmm. And, of course, you know, especially for people who are very steeped in the practice, uh, that practice influences, you know, other forms of thinking. But it's not necessarily the case for people who simply dabble in it. Uh, same for focusing. You know, in a way, we we practice it in certain circumstances and about things to understand in a way emotional life or 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 we we uh, some people use it actually quite a bit to solve problems mm-hmm. but not necessarily uh you know it's not something that is as widely available as it should be to the to people at large uh 
And um, my hope is actually by having a very simple explanation of what the process of what I call contemplative thinking is and how eminently practical it is about everyday life, about uh, business issues, all kinds of issues, uh, theoretical issues. Uh, it encourages people, one, to think about the, how they think and uh, to notice, in a way, uh, when they do it, because it's not something I invented, it's something that we all do. So mm-hmm. a big part of it is simply to notice, to pick, to, to, to notice when we're doing it. And, and in a way, if we know it, if we name it, then it's possible to notice it and to pay more attention to it and therefore to simply become more proficient at it by simply noticing it. And two is... And, and wait, just to be clear, the it that you're referring that, to now is... That three-step process of uh, okay. contemplative thinking, you know, that, okay. uh, you mm-hmm. know, uh, pause, orient, and allow response. Um, and... And so one is to notice it and, in a way, noticing it to to become more proficient at it. And two is, as you get a sense of fun and mastery by simply noticing it and noticing that it's very natural and it actually works beautifully and you enjoy it, um, it's going to make you want to actually practice more of the things that are going to help you go deeper into it. Mm-hmm. And so that can include mindfulness practices, that can include focusing, but that can include also therapy that's going to be about dealing with your activation. So there's a whole range of practices, uh, you know, And but simply to uh, notice, to have, in a way, a, a goal for these, that they're oriented toward a better functioning, as opposed to being some things that are, in a way, distractions from your everyday life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, all right. So I think if we want to make this more accessible to um, the man in the street, I guess the person in the street, we would say these days, um, <clears throat> I think what we need to do is to collect instances, examples, um either from our own experience or, or that of others, that um, illustrate what that process looks like. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Um, and do it, you know, in, in, a, in a simple and accessible way, because the level that you and I are talking at right now is not going to be so helpful to many people. Yeah, 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 no, that's a very good point, that uh, yeah. what we're talking about is something that, in a way, I can imagine almost, uh, um, uh, maybe not even written, maybe it's even like a video thing or an audio thing, but something where you can easily see. I could imagine, um, you know, person does this, and this is that moment of pause, mm-hmm. uh, and this is this, and oh, this is this moment of reorienting. Uh, and so on. Uh, and, uh, yeah, yeah, no, I think that would be very nice. And actually, um, and, and, and a large number of such instances so that, uh, you know, there is a way of noticing how it can be applied and so people can recognize. Hmm. Yeah, 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 yeah. But, but, you know, conversely, also, maybe, uh, 
uh, in addition to it, is something of encouraging people uh, to to have, say, conversations with each other, where um, there is a person who, say, talks about something, and the other person points out what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, and might be pointing out, mm, you know, did you notice you just took a pause right now? Or, uh, mm, you know, this might have been a good time to pause, or would you consider a pause here? Mm-hmm. Um, and then, in a way, just, uh, mm, did you notice right here, you know, what happened was you reoriented actually to inside information. Okay? Mm-hmm. Uh, so maybe there is a little bit of that in addition to... Um, uh, you know, to, to showing instances. Yes. Well, I think both. Um, this was one of the challenges I found in writing my book, was to come up with concrete examples. <clears throat> and, you know, typically in self-help type books, there's lots of examples of, oh, Mary, such and such happened, <laughs> and you know, they've just collected them. And I found it not so easy to... Um, I mean, I think partially they, people make them up, but in terms of really finding them from my own experience, it wasn't so, um, I mean, I found some, but, but it wasn't so easy to do that. Um, and, you know, and I think a good example, like a good picture, is worth a thousand words, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Um, because it can convey at a more experiential uh, level. Oh, that's what's going on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. <clears throat> so I would be inspired to try to um, catch myself or others in real real time when something like this process is happening. Yeah, yeah. And, uh, you know, it's interesting that... Um, uh, so what it's about is, in a way, uh, transmitting to people um, a way of seeing things, mm-hmm. you know, um, that is there, but because there's no uh, conceptual framework to, to see it, in a way, it's invisible, and uh, and and by simply installing the conceptual framework in a in a theoretical way, uh, mm-hmm. it's not enough. And I'm noticing when you said that, you know, a few minutes ago, there was a little bit of a I had I had a sense of a little bit of a downer emotionally, because mm-hmm. I was all excited, you know, as you were asking me questions and prompting me and finding this framework, you know, to for me to to express these ideas. Uh, I felt very, you know, revved up in a positive way sure. and launched and opening up. And uh, in a way, from that place, you know, how you're receiving it, uh, I felt myself opening up and I felt that sense of so much clarity is coming out of there and feeling very grateful to, you know, like you're, you're, you're presenting the framework where I feel so much clarity. And then you bring back the, you know, the element of shade, you know, like the clouds coming back and say, yeah, but that clarity is not something, and I totally agree, as it is, that people can follow from there. And, and so there is that work to do of actually having the guided, you know, this is what's happening here, this is what's happening there, you know, so it can be seen.
This is part of the Active Pause podcast. To see more and subscribe to the newsletter, go to activepause.com.